All right, Mitch, can you hear me? I mean, I'm talking like straight into the microphone. Hello. I am talking straight into the microphone as well. And in three, two. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Team Morale podcast, where we do our three favorite things, talk a little bit of booze, talk a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of basketball. I am here. It is Ethan. I'm trying not to say host. (laughs) And Mitch is here, too. Hey, what's up, everyone? Because we're both hosts. We are both the hosts. The hostess with the mostest. People have mentioned that I've said that I'm the host and that Mitch is joining me, but we're both hosts. Yeah, I'm I'm no longer just a guy that shows up on the podcast every time. Mitch is just as much of a host. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, we are back again to uh, talk a little bit more basketball, or a lot a bit more basketball, actually. We are going through our Eastern Conference overreactions. Yes, and I am so excited because... Nothing I love more to do than overreact to things before we're even two weeks into the entire season. (laughs) Last episode, we talked a lot of Western Conference, and Mitch had a list of overreactions, and now we're just going to go through the East, and uh, we've got some doozies in here. Let me tell you, the East is kind of a mess. Yeah, the East is all over the place right now, so I am very excited to get into my, uh, my overreactions, but before we do that, I think that we should talk about what we're drinking today. We've got a beer on the podcast today. We do have a beer on the podcast today. We have a very common beer on the podcast today. We do, but a good one. It's it's the uh, it's the present of beers because you got to unwrap it before you get to it. It's a <laughs> it's a Modelo. For anyone who's ever drinking a Modelo, it comes with some gold, like or the Modelo Especial specifically. Uh, it comes with like a little gold foil over the top, and so when you take it off, it's like opening up a present. It's nice. Yeah. It- it's a good present because it tastes good. Yeah, exactly. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but so Modelo is a Mexican beer. It was created by the Modelo Grupo in 1925. And it is current. The Modelo Especial is the second highest seller out of this brewery, which also actually creates Corona and Pacifico. So Corona, Pacifico, and Modelo are all out of the same brewery. Yes, they all come out of this uh, Grupo Modelo, uh, which was created in 1925. So they've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, I mean, it's good. They, yeah. they, they know how to make, uh, I mean, technically it's a Pilsner. In yes. my mind, I've always thought of it as a Mexican lager, but you know, yeah, it's I, good. <laughs> I always have thought of it as like a Mexican lager sort of thing too. But the fact that it's a Pilsner kind of almost throws me for a loop. But I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it. It's just, it's crisp, it's light, it's beachy. It is. Um, it's nice and beachy. It fits yeah. perfectly here on an early January morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are recording this uh, Sunday morning, so you guys will be hearing this the same day that we record this, which we do every once in a while. Sometimes we record the night before just because it's easier to record after the games are done, but today we're doing it in the morning. Yes, morning beers. Morning beers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into this because like the Western Conference, we have a lot to get through here, and this one's probably going to be a, a little bit of a longer podcast like the Western Conference one, but let's let's jump right into it here. The first team, Mitch, that you're going to talk about here is the Philadelphia 76ers. The Philadelphia 76ers. You guys, here's your overreaction. You don't need another superstar. 
you have your pairing. This is actually 100% going to work with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because Doc Rivers has implemented a system where Joel Embiid is the number one guy. He's putting up crazy stats right now. The Sixers, as we sit here, are 5-1 and one on the season, and Embiid is playing like a Dark Horse MVP candidate. Yeah, I mean, he looks good. He looks fresh, which I... Not a lot of players after the short and off season look fresh, but he looks pretty fresh. He looks aggressive. He looks like Doc has gone to him and say, hey, this is your team. Ben Simmons is your Robin, and you need to go lead us to where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, so the man is putting up 25 points, 12.6 boards on 53% from the field and 40% from three. So he's above, he's high efficiency. He's getting a lot of run. Like you said, he looked really good after that shortened offseason, and he's playing awesome. On top of that, now Ben Simmons is in the like playmaker-creator role, exactly where you want him to be. I mean, he's putting up 13.5 points, 7 assists, and just under 10 rebounds. And he is playing like the X-factor like he can be, because I don't think they want him to be the number one go-to guy, but they need him to be this extra X factor that can push them over the hump for a championship kind of push. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the moves that this team made in the offseason are tailor-made to allow Ben Simmons to be a creator and not necessarily a scorer because you add shooters like Danny Green, who has struggled this year, but he'll, he's going to figure it out. He's, he's not going to be a below-average three-point shooter. Seth Curry, another sniper from the outside. Two guys that he can go into the paint, Ben Simmons being, and kick out to these guys who can knock down shots, which he's never had before. And the resurgence, a resurgence of Tobias Harris cannot be understated on this team. Yeah, it helps a lot that Tobias Harris, one of his best seasons came under the Clippers while Doc Rivers was coaching there. Um, But also, like you're talking about with Seth Curry, the man is averaging 16.2 points on 51% from three-point range. This team is just, the overreaction is that this is absolutely going to work and you do not need to trade for another superstar because this is your championship caliber team right here, right now. So what is bringing him back down to earth? What, right. what what knocks him down a peg? So now here's what's bringing you back down to earth is you really don't have any quality wins against like playoff opponents. And the one loss that you do have was against at the time a surging Cavs team. And it's you just haven't seen enough against good competition to say that this team is genuinely a championship contender. Yeah, I would agree. They haven't played a true difficult game yet and it'll be interesting to see what they do when they do which will be exciting yes let's move on to a surprise team who has been very good so far this year which is going to be the orlando magic the orlando magic you guys you're a quality playoff team and don't let anyone tell you otherwise that is your overreaction is that like do not let anyone convince you that you need to be in tank mode or that you're not good enough to be a playoff team or that you shouldn't be striving to get more wins as opposed to like trying to get more lose more losses to go and get better picks. That's not where you're at. You are in the position of continuing to make the playoffs and develop your young talent. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they're four and two right now. They got off to a hot four and zero start. They have had a two game slide, but they have they're just looking good. I mean. They're averaging, you know, 47.7 rebounds a game, which is one of the in the upper echelon in the NBA. They they can board the basketball. They can shoot the basketball at 35.9%, which is right around league average. I mean, they can score. They play defense. They have a lot of things. They're just, for some reason, people are sleeping on this team. Yeah, it's because it's because they lack the top end talent. 
right? So this is a team that is they got pretty decent like NBA talent, top to bottom, and they got quite a bit of quite a lot of young guys with high potential. When you're talking about Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, a lot of guys with high ceilings that not really any of them have reached those high ceilings yet, but they still have a whole lot of potential. But outside of Vucevic, you don't have a lot of guys that are really like making you all that excited about them. Yeah. So is that what brings them down to earth or is there something else that you have? That is what I have. So I, first of all, their bench is a little bit weak, especially they've been a little bit injured so far, but Mo Bamba already had a DNP and he's behind the likes of like Ken Birch. He's behind other guys that he should be starting over. Um, but and DMP, also, you mean did not play? Yes, that's a did, that's a coach's decision. Did not play, as opposed to actually being injured and did not play. Um, and the other issue that I really have is that your two star guards, your two young guys with all this potential, and Markel Fultz and Cole Anthony, both of them are shooting right around twenty five percent from three, which is not going to be good enough if you want to like actually start striving in high level games. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's jump over to the Pacers. The Pacers overreacting to the Pacers. They have had a uh, player of the week in Sabonis, who has been dominant, and they're four and two, which yeah. isn't a good a good record. Yeah, they started off really strong. The loss of DJ Warren is definitely to be noted, but your overreaction here is that Demontis Sabonis is turning into a genuine superstar. He is developing into being one of the best twenty to fifteen players in the NBA, which means that in a good season, if he's putting up close to triple-double stats, which he is right now, he could be a dark horse MVP candidate depending on how well this Pacers team plays this year. Yeah, I mean, he is just off the charts hot to start this year. His shooting splits are unreal. His passing, he's got such good vision for a big man. He he reminds me a lot of like old-school Pau Gasol when they ran the triangle in LA where he just always knew where to one uh, one extra pass to get a good shot to a great shot. Yeah, he's like it's like his biggest attribute is his feel for the game. Is he's always in the right spot. He always like he he's one of those guys that gets angles on the floor as they happen more than other guys. Like that's the kind of thing like Luca is so good with, and that's why that's what turns him into a superstar. He's not more athletic than anyone. He's not faster or stronger than anyone, but he knows where to be and when to be. And Sabonis has that exact same feel for the game. Absolutely. So Sabonis is definitely the overreaction. He's going to be great. I mean, it's not, in my opinion, it's not necessarily overreaction. Maybe a Dark Horse MVP candidate might be a little bit of one. But what brings this team down a little bit? So Dark Horse MVP is the is the major overreaction. And I think what brings you down is this team needs to be good for you to even like be considered one of those guys. Or if you want to be considered a first or second team All-NBA guy, your team has to be good. Which they are currently a top three seed, but so is the Orlando Magic. I'd be willing to bet that that's not how this season is actually going to end We're six games in. Up. we got a long way to go. <laughs> uh, but after you lost uh, Warren... I have a hard time believing that this team is going to be more than a four seed. And if that's the case, people are just not going to be as high on Sabonis as if they actually are like that type of, you know, top tier team. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's if you it's a team that's going to live or die by Sabonis, it looks like at this point. I mean, in this young season and we'll just have to wait and see where they end up. And I think how the team does has a lot to do with that. Um, Let's move on to a surging Hawks team. That is currently averaging 120 points per game and shooting 40% from three as a team. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. 
the the Hawks look really good. And guess what? If you're if if I was a Hawks fan or if I was the Hawks GM, I'd be like I would be looking at my team and be like, we should be a home court playoff team. That is, the, I think, I think that is the overreaction, and I say that's the overreaction because the Hawks have been no good for quite a while now, and now you are going to make this step up from being a oh we hope we make the eighth seed to no we should be one of the top tier East Coast teams. Yeah, absolutely. I can. I mean, their ceiling is so high. They're doing all this with um, Gallinari hurt, which is you know it's Gallinari. He's always going to be hurt, but let's say for some reason he comes back in the late push of the season and he's able to push these guys I can see them being a top four seed in the East they can score with anybody that game that they played against the Nets where it was like 140 to 135 just scorching offenses both teams run so or run their offense so fast paced that it's like dribble 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 one pass shot dribble dribble dribble, one pass shot it's so fast and it's it's exhausting for teams to have to defend. Yeah, it really is. And it all runs through one Trey Young, who is putting up 28 points, 8 assists, and 4 rebounds on 45% from field and 36% from 3, which may seem low for a guy like Trey Young, but the crazy shots that he takes and like how much he takes them, it's amazing to have an efficiency that's like right at league average. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the amount of contested step backs that he takes. I mean, I just see that from like a Mavs fan, Luca's perspective, Luca's always shot the ball under league average because he takes such difficult threes. Trey Young doing what he's doing and shooting league average is impressive. That being said, what brings this team down? So what brings this team down is a, they're still young. They're still unproven. You haven't seen what they're going to look like in high pressure situations and playoff games, late, like late close games against good teams. I have been watching a good amount of Hawks games on League Pass, and I got to watch that uh, the first Nets-Hawks game, and the Hawks kind of just choked down the stretch. DeAndre Hunter missed a good three wide-open threes. Trey Young did not look specifically good. He was not able to get to the foul line there at the end of the fourth quarter because the refs loosened up a little bit on calling those fouls, which is what one of the things Trey Young is amazing at. But I think overall, like you kind of choked in that game, and so it, I need to see you win against high caliber teams, like really, really good playoff, like playoff quality teams, before I can actually trust you. It's a similar situation to a lot of these upper teams in the East that we've talked about so far. Is like you haven't played anyone really substantial yet, and we got to kind of see what you can do against, you know, good teams in clutch moments to see where you really stack up because that's what the playoffs is altogether. Yeah. Um, let's talk about arguably the most surprising team of the NBA so far, and that is the four and two, three center starting Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> the Cleveland Cavaliers are just turning basketball on its head right now. All of the efficiency nerds that want to tell you like how to play and you need more spacing and more three point shooting, the Cavs are just like, nah, we're gonna do it our way. They were starting two point guards and three centers before Kevin Love got hurt. And they've been doing pretty good. So um, when Kevin Love was healthy, it was a three-center lineup. So they're running Sexton, Garland, uh, Nance, Love, and Drummond. And since Love has gone out, they've kind of used Exum or Osman a couple times. But here's your overreaction. And that is you have your bona fide superstar and your bona fide number two already set in place right now with the great nickname that Larry Nance already gave them, which is Sexland. 
Oof. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. That's a bad beat. Together, <laughs> together are sex land. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is awesome. But I, I mean, the duo is, looks like they figured out the NBA. Both are young guards. Both have, were highly drafted. Both were, played really well in college and looked like they had kind of potential in the NBA, but they kind of, the fit seemed to be weird. Their styles didn't seem to fit. And this year they are proving everyone wrong. Yeah, because they're both ball dominant, like like kind of shoot first kind of guys. But what they really remind me of is young Dame and CJ. Now, whether they have one of those guys that actually pops to a top 10, top 15, like level talent, like Dame has now done, is to be seen but Sexton is already putting up 26 points a game and Garland's putting up 17 and has had a couple like really like good assist number games and so they're they are the two creators on that team and like everything runs through them and so I think that like it's it's cool the dynamic that they've set and I think that this is your duo for the future yeah they have definitely at least something to build around now and all of a sudden the future doesn't look as murky for the Cavs you have your two young your backcourt looks to be set, and now you have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond, two, I mean, decent to great trade, like, yeah. chips that you can, you know, sell to, comp- like, contending teams and being like, hey, like, we'll take a young guy who has more upside and a first-round pick for Drummond. Like, that seems more than fair. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be fun how to see how this team turns out. I'd say the thing brings them down to earth is consistency is going to be key for the Cavs. It is, can you stay around 500? It is, can you keep these young guys playing well throughout the course of an entire season? If you can stay, stay consistent, get some good wins, like stay in the relative like play-in game push, then you're, you will start to see your team year by year get better. Absolutely. you got to institute some sort of culture of winning. Yes, exactly. You can't just be full tank mode all the time. Exactly. Um, let's move on to kind of an equally surprising team, to, at least in my opinion. And that is the 500 Nets, which is kind of surprising to me that they they started the year looking unbeatable. They looked amazing, and then all of a sudden you look and they're three and three. Yeah, the Nets uh, the Nets are in a bit of a worrisome spot right now. But here's my overreaction for them: they are sitting they are sitting 500, three and three. But you still have the same mentality, and that is this year is championship or bust. If you are the Nets, you don't. I mean, I don't see a a good year coming out of this either way unless like I guess you could make it to the finals be like okay that was a good year but if I'm the Nets I'm expecting a championship yeah I mean you don't go out and get Katie Kyrie wait a year for them to both get healthy and then be like all right let's do our best yeah that's just not how that works no it's not and uh I think that if they can go and change, if they can go and like win the championship, they're going to change the entire power balance of the entire NBA. And everything could change overnight depending on what this Nets team does. And if they can go out and win a championship, like this could be another dynasty. Yeah. And you can't forget the uh, idea of them possibly adding another third superstar as well. What brings this team back down to earth, though? All right. So what brings this team back down to earth is you have some bad losses. Like, this team really has not looked all that great. Maybe the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie is going to mean more than what I originally accredited for. You know, they have losses to the Hornets and Hawks, which are both, like, very uninspiring. And at the end of the day, both of your superstars are divas. And this locker room is 
walking on a tightrope. So this could blow up at any moment. Yeah. I mean, especially if the winning isn't there, you can see the locker room problems begin to rear their ugly head as if your superstars who are used to winning. I was watching sudden, that Hawks game where fingers. they, yeah, I was watching that Hawks game where they were like Katie and Kyrie were already starting to argue with each other. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. As a Nets fan, you're sitting there like, oh gosh. And you've got a rookie head coach yeah. who isn't used to dealing with that. Like that's, that's a little scary. Um, another interesting team here, another kind of surprising team. You hope that injury is why they are where they're at and that is the three and three Boston Celtics because that is a team with two young budding superstars that are going to just take over the NBA one day and it looks like I mean Jalen Brown's off to one of the hottest starts in the NBA mm-hmm. I mean he's already in conversations for most improved player and he's our, he was a great player to begin with but they are three and three yeah they are three and three and so here's your overreaction is Without Kemba, the Celtics are not a home court playoff team in the East, and Jason Tatum is not the guy who can backpack you right now. You had, I mean, their last game, they lost to the Detroit Pistons. Oof. Oof. Big ol' oofskies. So if Jason Tatum can't get you through a win against the Pistons, he's certainly not going to get you through an entire playoff series. And so losing Kemba Walker, I think, is a huge, huge blow to this team And that the overreaction is that Tatum is not as good as his number. Like, it may be kind of empty calorie numbers without another true playmate, like playmaker on the floor with him. Yeah, there's a little bit of a log jam right here at 3-3 three and three with um, the Nets, the Celtics, and then the Bucks, who we'll get to after this, all being 3-3, three and three, all being like, you know, you'd guess probably three of the top four seeds in the East at least. So it's kind of interesting to see that they're all three and three. But yes, the Celtics are in a weird spot to where like they they just they don't look like they have a leader. When you watch them play, both Kemba or both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are very talented, but they need some sort of veteran presence, which hopefully Kemba Walker can bring them. But yeah. it's just one of those things where you they 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 gotta take their lumps as young stars. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Celtics, what brings it back down you know, to earth is it's not like you have to go out and find a Kemba Walker. You have a Kemba Walker on your basketball team right now. You're just waiting for him to come back. So I think the Celtics are going to be good as new, totally fresh, re-energized when Kemba does come back. And you're still going to be that team that's competing for conference finals and for championships. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing, the, the thing is with the Celtics, you're like, man, we're struggling, but yeah, we have a top 10 point guard at least coming back for us in a minute here and a top, you know, 30 player in the NBA, a former all-star, one of the greats of the NBA for the past, you know, decade coming to like, we got, we got the Calvary coming. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like you got to go find one of those guys. He's just waiting in the wings Till he's healthy. Yeah. And then when he comes back, he'll be well rested for sure, too. Let's let's move on to the Bucks here because I did mention them a few seconds ago. They're also three and three off to a little bit of a slow start to the season. They are their their numbers look great. I mean, they're averaging 124.5 points per game, only giving up 110 points per game, almost 49 rebounds, 25 and a half assists, shooting almost 49% from the field and almost 44 from three as a team just scorching numbers yet they're three and three so here is my overreaction and it kind of goes along with a lot of the numbers are there and they look like how they should look but so far there is no indication that this bucks team 
is at all going to have the same kind of uh, excellence that the last two years have had, where you were the number one seed and Giannis was the MVP of those two seasons, and you guys were rolling through the Eastern Conference, like just dominating people left and right all year long. There's no indication that that team is what this team is right now. Like Giannis, like they all have kind of played well and looked good, and they broke the record for the most three-pointers made in a game uh, by a team, and yet it still isn't totally leading to wins right now. Yeah, it's it's strange how they're set up because you, you look at this team and you're like, okay, this team on paper is going to be great, yet they're 3-3. Three and three. They have some like weird losses. They lost to the Knicks by like 20. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, is it is it all chemistry? Are they trying to figure out how it's going to work with Drew Holiday? They do have a totally revamped bench than what they had in the prior seasons. And so it might just be one of those things that's taken a minute, and it might be one of those things that maybe they this team just isn't clicking like the last couple teams were. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's an, <laughs> this is overreaction season. We are six games in, and we're already talking about, oh, maybe they're not clicking. Maybe it's not going to work, but... That's what we're here for. That's the whole point. It's overreaction season. (laughs) This is why we overreact. Let's talk about it. What, I guess, what's some hope? What brings him back to earth? Because that's not down to earth because we're talking bad. What what brings him to earth? So you still have Giannis as a top three player in the NBA. That by itself is going to get you to the playoffs. On top of that, you still have a terrific Batman, an efficient shooter, 50-40-90 type of guy in Chris Middleton and a new shutdown uh, defender in Drew Holiday. You have a totally new bench that got 100% revamped and is still re- like working out the kinks as to what everyone's role is right now. Um, and you broke the record for most threes made in a game. That is a terrific look for a team that's built around Giannis and I think kind of what they're going for going into this season. Yeah, Giannis not a great shooter, but a great playmaker and a great guy that can get into paint and kick out and a team that is shooting 40 almost 44 percent from three as a unit that's no way sustainable but it is crazy if they can keep it around that you know 42 mark for the year yeah yeah exactly so you still have a lot to look forward to if you uh, are a bucks fan i don't think that you should be crying yourself to sleep just yet. I think there's a lot of season and a lot of chemistry left to be built with this Bucks team. Now, now if you end up going three and four, pack it in. Pack it, pack in. it in. That's it. It's all over. <laughs> you can't go under 500. Um, let's take a break here and let's go back into this Modelo. Let's talk more about this. We're rifling through teams. That, we already went through eight. All right. Which is, you know, we're, 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 we're just ripping through these. We're cooking along. Yeah, absolutely. But let's let's take a moment here and appreciate this Modelo a little bit more. All right. So Modelo. So, yes, it's a Pilsner style. Um, they actually, back when they created the Modelo Grupo, they wanted to base most of their beers off of like German style, which is kind of why they went with that Pilsner style. But it is funny that we always just say it's a Mexican lager, even though that's not actually what it is. So I think that's kind of funny, but I I love a good Mexican lager. I love a good. I mean, I love pilsners by themselves, but just so like how do you Modelo, like Mexican but, pilsners? But Mexican pilsners are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's just like you're saying. It's beachy. It's you know, it's just it's crisp and it's nice. And even here in a nice brisk morning, it still tastes great. Yeah, it's a good morning beer. It is a great morning beer. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I I I taste this and I get you know flashbacks to being at the beach and you know just. I don't know. It's, for some, it's weird. I, I've mentioned this before, maybe not on the podcast, but whenever I drink like this style of beer, I always just like think of the beach mm. and like like 
my nose will like I'll smell like sea salts and like stuff like it's weird like yeah it's just kind of strange it's just you know you know when you like eat something and then like it instantly brings like, like a memory or something like that that's what I get with this style of beer. I get it with like Dos Equis and Coronas as well oh but. that's funny that's cool that is great I uh so I really like Modelo um maybe we'll have to do a taste test comparison of what it taste next to like a Corona or Pacifico or, or a Dos Equis. We'll do but like a, a blindfold, like we'll blindfold someone and we'll put them all three yeah. out and you have to guess which one it is. Yeah. The blind taste test. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd say Modelo is actually one of my favorite of the Mexican beers. Maybe it's just the cool bottle, but I like it. It is a gift. It you is didn't a mention gift. earlier. It's a gift. You have to unwrap it. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful present. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, in just in terms of it, I like the, just like, it's light, but it's got some flavor to it, you know, as opposed to like a lot of like, you know, light beers, like you taste it. It's like, ah, oh, it's light beer. This is a it's, light beer. This one at least has some taste to it as a light beer. No, for sure. I think like it starts with that crispness. It's just like, just like it hits right every time. We're not all light beers always do. Sometimes I'm just forcing them down because we're playing beer pong. But <laughs> <laughs> but then you follow it up with like, it doesn't, a lot of these style of beers, you get like that skunkiness a little bit, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And this one doesn't have it. I'm guessing that's because it's more of a Pilsner base than like a lager base. Yes. Yeah. I think that that definitely could be that. So yes, Modelo, you guys should go, go get yourself a present. Go get yourself a Modelo. Go get Modelo today, guys. I should be on the Modelo marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go back into this. Um, we've got the Charlotte Hornets at two and four um, coming in next. Where's your overreaction to them? And I'm sure it has nothing to do with LaMelo Ball at all. It doesn't have anything to do with LaMelo Ball. I, I, We can get into the LaMelo Ball thing later. But my overreaction is, I don't know how much of an overreaction it is, but it kind of depends on your look and like how much you watch the Hornets. But it is my belief that Terry Rozier is the most important player on this team. That is an overreaction. Yeah. I mean, he, so I think that the going into the season, it was like, Oh, Devonta Graham. He was the almost most improved player last year. He looked great. Oh, Gordon Hayward. You're bringing him in. He, maybe he's going to be your all-star caliber guy. LaMelo ball. He's going to be the future of the franchise. You already got good other young players in PJ Washington, miles bridges. That being said, Terry Rozier is leading all of them in scoring by quite a bit. So he's putting up 23 points a game. And then you have Gordon Hayward putting up 18 points a game. And then you have Biombo, Bridges, and Washington, and LaMelo Ball, which are all around 10 points a game. I had no idea it was that high. That's kind of crazy. He's having a good start to the year. He's having a really good start to the year. And he's doing it pretty efficiently. 49% from the field, 45% from three. He's playing 31 minutes a game. He's still their starting point guard. They're kind of using Graham more as an off guard, and Graham has not played well at all this year. He's struggled mightily out of the gate. Yeah, him and Hayward have both kind of – I mean, Hayward's at least putting up points, but Hayward's been mightily inefficient to start this year as well. So both of them have kind of struggled. Um, So, yeah, I can see Terry Rozier. I mean, I can get behind that being – after looking at the stats, but it, on gut reaction, I'm sitting there going, holy cow, that is an overreaction. Yeah, so it's weird. But Terry Rozier is playing like the best Hornet on their team right now. Now, the thing that is going to like bring you down a little bit is that if anyone's going to have a chance at making an all-star game, it's going to be Gordon Hayward. Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier could have the exact same stats. And if they're both both fringe players, Hayward has a better chance of making it in just for name value. 
And then the other thing that's bringing you back is the fact that LaMelo is the future of this team. He and is, he's looked good. He's looked good. He's going to get the he's going to get the keys to the car at some point. I think the thing that surprised me so far this season is I thought that Rogier would be the guy that they probably look to shop and look to like trade away. But so far the way the season is going, I would not be surprised that they try to shop Graham or they move Graham to the bench in more of a bench scoring role and start LaMelo because I think that it's just a matter of time before LaMelo actually starts getting the uh, start. Yeah, he's he's looked good in in what I'm, I'm talking LaMelo here. He looks he's looked good. He's had a couple of, you know, high turnover games, but if you if you look at his passing, it's just ridiculous some of the things he's able to do. And his vision is good. His three-point shot has actually translated better than I thought it would to the point where it looks a little quick. It looks a little like it almost looks like a like a like a kid in an NJB league just throwing it up real quick, but uh it goes in a decent amount. I mean, and I I watched when he played the Mavs, obviously, and damn, he cooked us. I, I knew I was going to be getting a lot of LaMelo love from you because, yeah, he did he did look really good against the Mavs. He, do, he does still make some, like, rookie mistakes, and he's, he's a guy that kind of gets ahead of himself a little bit. But, yes, he's going to be the future of that franchise. So it's just when they give him the keys. Absolutely. Let's, let's move on here. Um, the 3-3... Three and three. New York Knicks. The Knickerbockers. They are 500, and if they could stay that way, my friend, Knicks fans would be over the moon. Yeah, dude. They got some good wins. I mean, they they beat the Bucks, they beat the Pacers, and they have beat the Caps. And they actually haven't looked all that terrible. So here is my overreaction, and that is Julius Randle is playing like an all-star and a potential most improved player right now. He looks really good. He yeah. looks really good. Yeah, let me pull up his stats real quick because they're pretty good. Uh, Julius Randle is currently averaging 21 points a game, 7 assists, 10 rebounds on 49% from the field and 50% from three. So you know who that reminds me of? That who got a lot of love and, and this guy hasn't? Sabonis. Mm-hmm. He looks a lot. Those are very Sabonis-esque stats. Yeah. It's funny because they almost go about it differently because Sabonis is like, he's a little bit more like find the soft spots and the defense and like reads like reads the floor and like kind of has a good feel for the game where Julius Randle is straight up just like an athletic freak. He's a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Just by the definite that you watch him play, he's literally constantly bumping into everybody that is available to bump into. He almost looks like like baby uh DeMarcus Cousins when DeMarcus Cousins was in his prime and he just like used his thickness and his like quickness just to like burst through everyone yeah. and get to the hole. That's what Julius Randle looks like. And they're really utilizing him as the star to this team. And I actually think that it looks really good so far. Yeah, he looks really good. The team looks better than expected. RJ Barrett had a hot start to the year. He's kind of cooled off a little bit, but uh, they've got some pieces here. I mean, Julius Randle is still young. Yes. Julius Randle is not like an old guy. He's, he's only, just been around for a while. Yeah. He's only 26. It feels like he's much older So he's older just than now entering his prime. Yes, he's just now entering his prime. And if you're the Knicks, I love that look. I love the look of Randall playing well. I like Barrett getting high minutes. He's being high usage right now. Mitchell Robinson, it fits pretty well next to Julius Randall, especially if he's going to be knocking threes down the way he has. The Knicks are starting to look like they might actually have like a real basketball team. A little bit. For the and, first time in a while. And it, it, it brings me up, because in true Knicks fashion, how long until they trade Julius Randall to somebody? to get something for him. 
Ooh, it's a very good point. That's a real, I can it's see, a real Knicks move. I can see them being like, let's capitalize on his value and and go get somebody else or go get a draft pick or something. Julius Randle playing really well. What brings the Knicks down a little bit? Okay, so if you do want, if Julius Randle does want to be like a potential all-star bid and a potential most improved player player bid, sorry, I'm burping up some Modelo right now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he the Knicks need to stay relevant, and by relevant, right around that eight seed, seven, eight, nine, ten seed in that playing game range. You want to be right around there, and also Randall has always shown us big time promise. There's been I I think pretty sure he put up a fifty burger up on the Blazers one time. Like he's always been a guy that's shown a lot of promise, but he's never been a, a an effective player or a big time stats guy on a winning basketball team. So we'll see if this is actually sustainable. Yeah, I mean. He- it's definitely they have to be around that eight seed in order for him to be relevant. And that is attainable because the eight seed's probably gonna be a couple of games below five hundred. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's gonna be attainable, but we need to see that that consistency from a team that has not shown us consistency in a very long yeah, time. Absolutely. The Miami Heat are two and three. The Miami they Heat are two and three. Are struggling mightily. And they might be one of the most disappointing teams in the league so far. I'm curious to see what your overreaction is. So, the Heat have losses to the Magic, the Bucks, and the Mavericks. So, I'm not going to say that those are necessarily like terrible losses for them. But here's my overreaction. And that is, Butler, Jimmy Butler is taking a major nosedive this year. And is no longer, like, he played amazing last year in the in the bubble and it was not that long ago when we saw Jimmy Butler play really good that being said he is getting older and he put he's always put a lot of wear and tear on his body by how hard he plays and whatnot so it would not surprise me to see him take a major nosedive and uh the heat right now are void of any true all-star player wow not even bam so okay yes bam I so when I say that I did kind of, when I wrote that down, I kind of forgot about Bam, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to roll with it anyway. So Bam is definitely going to be an all-star, but your team is not going to be a finals-level team with just a Bam at all-star. Like, if Jimmy Butler is continuing to play at what he's playing at right now, which is, to be said, eight points, four boards, four assists on 32% from the field and 0% from three, that's a team that's, that's not going very far. And this team has lost a huge part of its ceiling because Jimmy Butler is not playing well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's tough to watch. He looks exhausted. And I, I'm curious to see, like, how much of his exhaustion and just, like, lack of production is, like, you saw how much he gave during that finals and how much that playoff run just tore him up just physically because he was just giving it 150% every game. Gets three months off and has to turn around, go right back into training. I mean, you know Jimmy Butler. He probably never stopped training. Like, how much of that wear and tear is finally catching up with him? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is the shortest offseason ever. And that's kind of going to be my thing that brings us down is that it was... It brings us up. It brings brings the heat up. But uh, back to earth is that it was the shortest offseason of any sport ever. And... We kept saying, oh, that's really going to affect the Lakers. Like, this is really going to, like, hurt them in the early season. But no one was even talking about the Heat. The Heat had so many injuries. They had to put so much effort in just to get to the finals and, like, put all that extra time and uh, energy into it. They are affected more by that 
uh, lack of time, I think, than what the Lakers are. And so he if and even if Butler isn't the same scorer, he is still averaging three point three assists. Like he's still an elite defender. He's still an elite leader. And three point three steals. Yes, I'm sorry. You said assists. Three point three yes. steals. Three point three steals per game. So he's still an elite defender, and you're still going to get a lot of good stuff out of Jimmy Butler, even if he's not at the All NBA level that you want him to be at. Yeah, I mean, if you remember in some of those finals games, they were playing like seven guys, mm-hmm. and so the amount of just absolute destruction on your body has got to be off the charts let's uh let's go on to another um young team here which is the two and four chicago bulls yes the chicago bulls all right i'm just gonna jump right into it you have lots of young talent but this group will not lead to a playoff berth anytime soon it is officially time to consolidate your assets and trade for an all-star slash vet leader all of the Suns. interesting yeah so you we've seen this like young core together for several years now and like kind of like keep adding young piece after young piece and whatnot and it has not led you to any sort of productivity like on the court as far as wins go and so I think that they now are in the spot where you take all those young pieces and you need to start consolidating your assets and going and getting another star going and getting another vet getting someone that actually knows how to win and bring that culture of winning along with them that is an interesting um, take. I haven't heard that before, and that's an interesting one. It's definitely uh, something we could talk a whole podcast about. I mean, you and I love trade seasons, so mm-hmm. we could talk about that all day long. So I don't want to make this podcast super long, but the idea of them trading, you know, a Zach Levine, a Lowry Markinen, and a Kobe White for somebody is yeah. interesting. I mean, there's this young core has been around each other for a couple of years and just hasn't figured it out. I mean. This year, it's on the defensive end. This year, they're giving up 123.5 points per game. Yeah. They're one and four, or they're two and four. I'm sorry, they're two and four, which is just that's a lot of points to be given up through six games. And there's not a lot of defense on this team to begin with. So they need to go out and I can see consolidation being a big, a big thing for them. Yeah, they're 27th in defensive rating and 22nd in offensive rating. And yeah, you got all sorts of young guys. I mean, from Kobe White. Zach Levine, Wendell Carter, Preston Williams, Laurie Markinen, Chandler Hutchinson, uh, Denzel Valentine. Like, you have a lot of young pieces, Preston Williams, if I didn't say him, uh, to go and make moves for a couple of, like, at least mid-tier starters that have more experience in the NBA and can kind of bring a culture of winning. And that's why I said a la, like, the Suns. Like, the Suns we're not a playoff team. And then they go out and get a guy like Chris Paul. And all of a sudden people are talking about them being a home court team in the West. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. You have to go out and get the right guy. You have to go out and get the right people. Um, but this team has been together a while, but they're all too young yes. and they need to add some vets to that team. Absolutely. Does anything, uh, salvage this team so far? Yeah. And so I think that the first thing is you have a new coach in Billy Donovan and you really want to give him some time to see if, that's going to actually work out with Billy Donovan and like see let him manage the roster, the rotations, let him see if there's anything special he can do with this core as constructed and see if they can have anything special uh, happen with him. They got plenty of quality pieces. They kind of just need to start clicking. Maybe Donovan can get this to go. If not, then yeah, I would start looking on the trade market. Yeah, they're, they're definitely a dark horse buyer at mm-hmm. the deadline um, for sure. Now, when I mentioned earlier that the Heat might be the most underwhelming, disappointing team in the NBA so far, I 
said one of because this is the most underwhelming, disappointing team of the NBA so far, in my opinion, and that is the one in four Toronto Raptors. They look like a mess. They do look like a mess. So their losses have come to the Pelicans, the Spurs, the Sixers, and the Pelicans, and their one win has come against the the Knicks. Oof. Yeah. And so here's my overreaction is, uh uh-oh, you are the Toronto Raptors, and you might not be a playoff team this year. Yeah, you, at all. You 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 basically bet your franchise and just put your franchise in the hands of Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, and Kyle Lowry by giving by letting Marcus and Serge Ibaka walk mm-hmm. and giving the bag to Fred Van Vliet. And now you're like, you three are our guys, and they have played like garbage. Yeah, so, and some of their main problems are coming on offense, which is a concern because they're 29th in field goal percentage and they're last in they're last in offensive rating and 26 in turnovers. So they're inefficient, they're sloppy with the ball, they're all over the place. And it's kind of like we were just like, when I was talking about Fred Van Vliet in the offseason, he's like, yeah, he's a chucker. And if he's chucking and if it's not going in, it's, it turns real bad if he is kind of like the linchpin to your offense and he is to the Raptors right now and they look bad yeah they're, they're tough to watch I mean their big rotation offers nothing in terms of scoring no their big rotation is Baines Alex Lynn and Chris Boucher I mean you can argue that Siakam's a big but they don't really play him like a big no they, yeah he plays power forward but he really you're right he plays more on the wing and more as like a creator than like your normal big does. They don't have a single 20-point-per-game scorer. No one is really shooting the three-ball all that well, except for, I guess, Lowry, Powell, and Boucher. But Lowry's getting up there. You now are... You, yeah, you're stuck with Siakam and Van Vliet, and I'm not even sure how much that gives you in the trade market. As of now, they look like bloated contracts to me. Which is scary. I mean, yeah, the, you mentioned the three ball. They're shooting 33.2% as a team. Yes. For reference, league average is 36. So they're well below league average as a team. Yeah, exactly. And so, but if I'm trying to rationalize and if I'm trying to like, you know, kind of bring them back to earth, this is still a team with a whole ton of talent that has a lot of experience winning and has a coach of the year. They have a bunch of stuff that is still going their way. They just kind of need to get the pieces to fit, especially the bigs. Like you, like you let Ibaka and Marcus All walk, effectively thinking that Chris Boucher was going to be your next bit, like future big. Like maybe not an All Star, maybe not as good as Ibaka or Marcus All were, but he is going to be like your guy going forward. And Boucher needs to step up. Yeah, absolutely. They are a uh, they're a team that's borderline. This is not an overreaction. This is reality. Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, it is an overreaction to say that a team that won the championship two years ago and was you know a really good basketball team last year all of a sudden just isn't going to make the playoffs. But that is your reality right now. Yeah, it's scary. Let's go to a, a team who we are, who we thought they were, and that is the <laughs> one in four Pistons. We thought they would be bad, and yes, they are bad. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know like what the overreaction is here because you can't really go like hyper positive or hyper negative for these Pistons because they're kind of doing what you thought they were but here's here's what I went with is you you have like the only thing that's keeping you from being good is efficiency and is getting one star guy like Blake Griffin just isn't that guy anymore 
if you're the Pistons, you have a team that's full of quality role players. Jeremy Grant's still playing well. Mason Plumlee out here, out here still playing well. Blake Griffin could be a, a big piece on a competing te- on a competitive team. Derrick Rose, same thing. He's still really good. They got all sorts of like good basketball players, but they don't have a number one guy. And so I think that they're a number one guy away from being a good basketball team. The problem is they're paying Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee like they are the number one guys on a quality basketball team. Yes, and the problem is that they're just not all that efficient. Now, credit to Jeremy Graham. He's actually played really well so far this season. Yeah, I mean, he's played all right, but one in four, and they haven't, I mean, they did beat the Celtics was their one win, but their four losses aren't very good, and they're shooting 32% from three, which is even worse than the, the Raptors. I mean, they're shooting 42% from the field, which is super inefficient. They're giving up almost 116 points per game. So not good on the defensive end. So it's just the team is the, I mean, the team is who we thought they were They're They're not a good basketball team. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, Jeremy Grant is putting up 23 a game. Um, I think the thing that bummed me out and why I was so high on Killian Hayes as a potential uh, kind of dark horse for rookie of the year is I thought that he was going to be getting a ton of shots and kind of, like we were saying with LaMelo, giving the keys to the car of the offense and let him make a whole bunch of mistakes, and that's just not at all how it's been. I mean, yeah, he's, he's only not playing, playing very much. He's only playing like 20 minutes a game. He's getting like four four points, four assists, and he's just not getting much run. I really thought that they were going to lean into him being the future star, and that's just not at all what's been. They're leaning more into Jeremy Grant, who has not been all that effective. So, yeah. I it's early. It's early. That that that's that's what brings you back to earth is the season's still young Pistons fans. Tom, I know you're listening. It's okay, buddy. Yeah. Have a Modelo and just cry yourself to sleep. It's okay. But yeah, still lots of quality basketball players on your team. It's just, you know, finding that number one guy. Maybe Blake pops back into it. Maybe a combo of him and Derrick Rose figure it out. But I think leaning on Jeremy Grant isn't going to get you very far. Yeah, they have professional basketball players they do have on their team. professional basketball players. <laughs> they might not be the greatest professional basketball <laughs> players, but damn it, they are professional basketball players. I do want to give a quick shout out to uh, Josh Jackson. Has played really well so far this year. That's good to hear. Having a bit of a resurgence here. I think he's averaging right around 16 to 18 points. Yeah. And that's probably where he'll be. He might be a most improved kind of guy if there's not a lot of people in the category this year. He's one that was all but given up on. Yes, exactly. We've got one more team here. It is a team that made maybe the splashiest move of the offseason. They went out and got a guy you hate, Mitch. They did. Those are the Washington Wizards. It is. Went out and got your boy Russell Westbrook. And are one in five. All right, here is my hot take. And that is if nothing changes with this team, if, I mean, I'm pretty sure their only win came when uh, Russell Westbrook actually sat out. Oof. Which is not shocking to me by any stretch. <laughs> uh, We're going to have to have a podcast one of these days where it's just a Mitchell basketball hate list. And it'll be like Russell Westbrook, LaMelo Ball, and just a bunch of players that you just don't like. I'm about that. I think that sounds fun. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, but if this team continues on the trend that they're on right now, which is to be said, uh, might get the number one pick in the draft kind of bad team, Bradley Beal will be traded by the deadline. It's like they're going to blow up everything. They just they just traded a first uh, and John Wall to go get Russell Westbrook. And I Russell Westbrook is a really intense guy. And if you don't totally buy into what he's doing and if you are not getting wins, 
and like he's just being really intense and all up in like like all up in you all the time then you're going to get really tired of it. And so I could see Bradley Beal's already been on the trade block for the last several years. I can see him just being like, I want out. Like, I'm done. And then he's gone by the deadline, and the Wizards are kind of just sitting there with whatever they get for Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, and hopefully it works out. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that could happen. I mean, the NBA is always crazy trades, especially around the deadline. And, I mean, yeah, I can see I can see that happening. Uh, it's not too hot of a take. If it is hot in terms of the fact that I think they would pick Beal over Westbrook, and I think they would deal Westbrook, but I don't know what the market of West for Westbrook would be. I think we just saw it. I think it's for another bad contract for another like kind of inefficient, unproven guy. I'm not sure how many teams are, you know, jumping at the bit to go and get themselves an inefficient, really intense Russell Westbrook. The main part, like the main issue with the Wizards right now is mainly their defense and their rebounding. Their rebounding is one of the worst in the entire league. So I'm willing to bet that they actually are going to try to trade for some pieces that fix the holes in the team and try to keep their core together. But that's why I say my hot take is like Beal keeps saying, I want to stay, I want to stay, I want to stay. You may have just got the piece that may want him to be like, okay, I want to leave. Yeah. Russell Westbrook is very similar to... uh Jimmy Butler in that effect is like you have to match his intensity or he will show you the door. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really interested to see how this wizard experiment is going to turn out so far real bad. What do you uh, what do you have to say in terms of just light at the end of the tunnel for this? It's it's the fact that you still have really good talent. You have two all NBA type of guys on your team. I mean, Bradley Beal, it was a shame that he did not make the All-NBA third team. Russell Westbrook obviously has won an MVP. They're both really, really good basketball players, and you still have a lot of quality talent around them. It's just, it's for Scotty Brooks to figure out how this team is going to mesh, how it's going to fit. It's early in the season, short offseason, short preseason. It's how are you going to get this team to start turning it around and start getting some dubs? Um, because if you don't, things could turn south for this team real fast. Yeah, it's very similar to the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel for the Pistons is that it's early. Mm-hmm. You've got time to figure it out. You're not expected to be a great team right now. I mean, you, you're expected to be a playoff team. I think the Wizards are safe to say that they're expected to be a playoff team, but no one expects the Wizards to get out of the first round of the playoffs this year. Yeah, exactly. You just got to, I mean, you got you can't be losing to their losses so far are to the Sixers, Magic, Magic, Bulls, Bulls. Oof. It's time it's time to start turning around and winning. They did just beat the Timberwolves, so good for them, but yeah. It's it's officially time to start turning this thing around because there's it's a short season. Cuz this this quickly could become like a 1 in 9 team, a 1 in 10 team, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know, a good chunk of the way through the season you have one win. Yeah. And you start considering mailing in or, you know, that's not really Westbrook style. So it's going to be really intense. So, yeah, I you just you it's you got to get it to fit. That's the only thing you got. Well, everyone, that was our Eastern Conference overreactions. Now we have now overreacted to every team in the NBA. Um, Let me ask you this, Mitch. You've done both both sides, the East and the West. Which overreaction are you most proud of? (laughs) Ooh. Which one did you, when you were cooking it up, be like, ooh, that's a juicy one? <laughs> um, I I don't know. I I might have to go with, I kind of like the Hornets one. I kind of like the like Terry Rozier because he's not the most popular guy and it's kind of a deep dive, but I, I kind of think I'm just right. 
about it. Like, I don't think it's that hot of a take. I think I'm right, but I don't think a lot of people are thinking about the fact that Terry Rogier is the best player on his team. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up another episode. This is another uh, another chonker of an episode. But Modelo here with us. Happy to do a, a longer podcast with some Modelo. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Yeah. Later, guys. Cheers. Cheers.